Hello everyone and welcome to Intimacy with the World podcast. This week's episode is my conversation with beloved Grammy-nominated musician and American spiritual teacher Krishna Das. I first heard his music in a yoga class almost 20 years ago and subsequently got his disc Pilgrim Heart. At that time I had no interest in spiritual matters but his music really did speak to something in me. I must say that this conversation with Krishnadas was truly delightful. As you will hear, I giggle a lot throughout the whole interview. I must say that Krishnadas's energy really did make me light-hearted. He is so relaxed and at home with himself, and some of that rubbed off on me. So what do we speak about then? Well, we touch upon a lot of different things, both personal and more general. For example, Krishnadas tells us how some of his emotional sufferings from the past are actually still with him, but how the energy has gone out of them and how that makes all the difference. We also speak about surrender, about the ego, about practice, about his guru in India, about chanting, and we do also take our time to speak about romantic love. That part was really quite funny. But instead of me telling you about it, here is my conversation with Krishna Das. Please enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to Intimacy with the World podcast. I am Dorita Hall, your host on this show where we explore what it really means to be human and what really matters to be able to live a meaningful life. And today I am so honored because I am speaking with Krishna Das, who is with me from New York today. And in case somebody listening isn't familiar with Krishna Das, he is an American spiritual teacher and a widely recognized musician and vocalist, known for his performances of Hindu devotional music known as Kirtan. He has released 17 albums since 1996, and he performed at the 2013 Grammy Awards, where his album Live Ananda or Live Ananda, I imagine it's Live Ananda, right? No, Live Ananda. Live Ananda was nominated for a Grammy Award. He has also written two books, The Flow of Grace and Chants of a Lifetime, which I am halfway through and find immensely inspiring. So welcome to Intimacy with the World podcast, Krishna Das. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, very nice. Those, uh, let me just say one thing. I, I don't consider myself a Hindu. Uh, even though most of the chanting I do comes from India, I also do a lot of Tibetan chanting also, but I don't, I don't really belong to any group, you know. There was a great comedian in America called Groucho Marx, who used to say he wouldn't join any group that actually invited him. So I feel the same way, you know. Uh, anything you can... Um, define or conceptualize in your mind will never be enough. So I don't try, I just don't identify with those things. I, I, just trying to be a good human being is really the thing. Yeah, I, uh, I gathered that about you from following you for some years now. That's exactly what I like so much about you. You never tell anyone what to do 
and you're always yeah. so <laughs> you know That's not you, true. i tell a lot of people to go away you know? <laughs> yeah and you know what what i really what really resonates with me is is your your wildness actually you're very undomesticated even if you're from new york or maybe that's why <laughs> maybe yeah uh, yeah and i really like that that uh, this free spirited that that you don't claim to have all the answers that you're just following what seems to be through true to you right pretty much yeah that's what yeah. i try to do yeah. yeah so because many people that probably are here with us uh, uh don't know many will know you but many will not so uh can you tell us what happened in 1970 when you went to india for the first time just briefly and then i'll get into asking you more uh, questions that sure. i want uh, to know <laughs> yeah yeah actually we, i would say we have to start a little bit earlier yeah in, in the winter of 1968 yeah uh i met ramdas for the first time mm. and he had just returned from being in india where he met uh this guy behind me over here neem karoli baba wait there he is yeah and he's um, a guru from india a guru. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're scaring everyone now. <laughs> good, good. Let them be scared. Yes. <laughs> um, and so uh, I had been meditating and doing hatha yoga and reading holy books and stuff like that. But there weren't a lot, a lot of things available at that time. But uh, somehow or other, I heard about Ramdas and I went to see him. And the minute I walked into the room, where he was sitting without a word being spoken without eye contact or anything he was just sitting in the corner up against the wall with his eyes closed the minute i walked into that room i knew beyond a doubt that whatever it was i was looking for was real it was in the world and it could be found mm -hmm. And this was a life-changing experience. It was like the lights went on, really went on for the first time. Yeah. In a completely new and different way. So I became very close with Ramdas and we traveled around a year and a half or so in the States. And then, then I just, I said, listen, you know, and at first I felt, as at first being with him, I thought it was all coming from him that it was him. Yeah. But he clarified that very clearly and said, no, this is, this is Maharaja you're feeling, the guru in India. And he's just transmitting through me. And so I, I knew I had to go see the old man. So after a year and a half, I, I went to be with him uh, in India. Yeah. And uh, it, funny experience that first time we actually went got into the room where he was sitting uh it was very confusing because i had been feeling him everywhere for the last year and a half since that first moment uh you know he was huge he was everywhere right and then i walked into this room and there was this little guy wrapped up in a blanket <laughs> and it was like wait a minute how does this all fit in there you know it's like, wait, how does this work? But it works. <laughs> it works, yeah, yeah. Because you were uh, quite you you were 
I think one can say a tortured soul, right? Uh, what time is it? <laughs> uh, but it's uh, 4.12. I was tortured until 4.11 and 59 seconds. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know, you could say that. I mean, really, compared to what a lot of people go through in life, it wasn't that bad. But I did suffer a lot emotionally uh, yeah. from a lot of different stuff you know mm -hmm. and it's not all gone by any means those programs do keep running but you kind of develop a different way of being with them so that they don't uh, they don't keep pushing you around the same way and then gradually when the energy is kind of removed from those programs they kind of just float away uh, yeah so, i thought it was yeah. very interesting to read uh, in your book that so so Maharaji, he's a bit like you. He was quite rude too, you know. He would, he would, I'm not rude. <laughs> no, you're not rude. He could be. But he I, could be very. <laughs> he used to say, "Go away" is my mantra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and you explain in the book that that you 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 when you were in his presence, you just you you just felt love, right? You just felt Absolutely. that that the whole world and that you and everything was love. And as soon as you were out of his presence, or I don't know if it's as soon as, but pretty soon after being out of his presence, then that light disappeared, right? Um, yes and no. Uh, being with him was very special because all the, just, just in your own mind, just think of how it would feel if everything you've ever dreamed of was really true you know everything you've ever wanted everything you've ever imagined everything you've fantasy about how it would feel if that was if you were with that you know in one way and that's how it was yeah. that way so for those first two and a half, those two and a half years that i was with him in india uh and it wasn't all the time. He would disappear sometimes, you know, for, for months. Uh, but during that time, there was a, a um, not arrogance, but we took for granted. We, we took for granted the feeling, the connection. We took the connection for granted. At least I did. Maybe some others didn't, you know. And when he finally, when he left, sent me back to America and then left his body, that was it for me. I was destroyed. Because I had become so attached to being with him physically that I couldn't imagine what it would be like when he wasn't available that way. Yeah. So that was big time. Yeah. Uh, so you had to, you had to kind of find a way to find that light, that love, without his presence, without his bodily presence. Well, that first I had to, I had to find a way not to kill myself for twenty years. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, a long time, that, that, twenty years. That came first, well, you're, I'm stubborn. You're a slow. No, you're slow. <laughs> I'm slow, slow learner. Stubborn. Uh, very slow learner. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a hard case. 
but um after uh after well 11 years after he left the body i i was back in india again i've been many times and i had a, a very powerful experience that was like getting born it was like uh it was okay to be alive that was the basic and that i could live and maybe someday i could actually be happy but it, but uh, it was okay to be alive for the first time in 11 years right after he died and then 11 years after that i had another uh experience where uh it was truly having being born again in an in a completely uh different way also in india in, yes also in india in the temple at kenchi where i used to yes spend most of the time with him there yeah and and that's what really saved my life yeah uh yeah and so people ask me all the time you know how do i do this how do i do that? i said i don't know because i didn't do it for myself the way i see it he saved me he and and Siddhima, who was his great disciple but, they saved me yeah i i get that but don't you think that it also took something from you some kind of surrender or some kind of uh, or what surrender happens by grace yes you don't do surrender because that's an egoistic idea concept the ego will never surrender will never surrender you know ramana maharshi said that asking the ego or the mind to destroy the mind is like asking the the thief to be the policeman yes you know there'll be a lot of investigation but no arrest will ever be made yeah i so, know but you know how intention is also a very strong tool like you plant intention is planting a seed so if you at least begin with the intention, I would like to surrender. Don't you think that helps? No. <laughs> but then you, what you, get, you get so proud about being somebody who wants to surrender. Yeah. So how do you see intention then? Does intention not play a role? I don't think about intention. I think about the way I think about it. You're asking me how I see myself. So I see the longing to be free of suffering the longing to live in that loving presence all the time. That's how I see it. Yeah. I don't see it as my intention to do that. I just see as the longing is inescapable. Yeah. And uh, it colors everything in your life. Everything is, it ruins your life basically because nothing <laughs> will ever be enough. And in truth, nothing is enough out yes. there. Yeah. And, it, and that longing is actually the way we human beings experience being pulled into our own true nature. Yeah. Whatever we call it. Uh, yeah. And then you do what you have to do to try to honor that longing because that's the only, what else we, do you want to do? This is your longing. This is what you want. So ultimately you get with the program and you start doing what's necessary to uh, move more easily in that direction. Yeah. And even if, if what you're, the kind of longing you're describing, as you're saying, is quite painful because you're, you're never going to 
have enough because you're always longing. But really, there is no human life really that's not full of longing of one kind or another. It's like there's never enough in most. That's true. And it's only, it's only the, the, it's a combination of what you could say grace, which I know Buddhists love that word, and uh, grace and good karmas that you even recognize that even though you you recognize that there's no real satisfaction in stuff including all stuff from relationships to cars to jobs to anything it's only the good karmas that you yourself have created in a combination with causes and conditions and in my the way i see it as grace that you even know it might be possible to find something despite the fact that you recognize that out there there's nothing so that's even even being on the path even uh, being attracted to the dharma and it is it's a, it's a fruit of previous causes it's an effect of previous causes yeah and and uh, i find that it's uh, i think it's easier just to do your stuff do your practice and try to become a good human being yeah. and not worry about intentions and techniques and rules and regulations because Westerners are so ensconced in their sense of a separate self that everything you do becomes something that just shines up that, that separateness. It's very hard to get free of that. Yeah. Uh, very hard. Um, yeah but then 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 again for example i know that you uh, you uh, emphasize practice you know that yeah. that if we if we have this longing that if we have this intuition that there is something more i could feel i could be much more fulfilled in a in a, in a way that things and stuff mm-hmm. can't fulfill me uh the only way to get there you say or the only way to walk towards that path is practice and practice takes some uh, i don't know discipline or intention or something you could looking at it from an egoistic point of view you can say that it you takes not- intention it, no you definitely have to do something but do you, you don't have to do it with the heaviness of of sense of doing. I mean, there's. I mean, this is subtle stuff, right? This is not. Yes. This is not nursery school. This is kindergarten stuff. We don't have to do it with that heaviness of like I'm doing my practice, because it's just ultimately that's. But ultimately, the practice will take care of that, will cure you of that disease of that delusion, but you're adding on to it already just so you know yeah um, yeah I, I i know what you mean yeah <laughs> it's that surrender that can happen while you're practicing that you're not doing but it just happens and and you don't pat yourself on the back about it you know no. when a kid is playing you know yeah. there's nobody he's not saying well i'm really playing now i'm totally no. in, into this isn't it great you know, yeah. it's not like that. When you're into something, that meta story, the story might be gone, is gone. The presence is there. The, the experience of the moment is deep. Yeah. But 
there's nobody patting you on the back about that. Yeah. And we're so needy of, of being patted on the head and told we're good little boys and girls that we'll use anything we can to get that feeling, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, that's a big obstacle in terms of just living and just being. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it's a big obstacle to practice too. Yeah. Because you're always judging, evaluating, oh, this was today, shit, I can't meditate, I can't concentrate, this is bullshit. And you sit there for an hour or whatever and you just piss and moan all the time. Because that's, you know, that's what's natural to us in, in this, this Western culture, especially. Yeah. And then we're so proud when we think we've had a good meditation and we think we did it and we pat ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Sharon says, the best, the most important moment of practice is when you sit down to do it. Yeah. Everything after that is secondary. Yeah. Because it's a huge moment. You've overcome the, 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 what they call the vasanas of the mind which are constantly going in this crazy outward direction, you're, you're actually, you know, you're, you're overcoming that and making a, recognizing the need to sit down. Yeah. So I can't but, help, I ha can't help my curiosity. So the first 11 years you went back to India and you had, a, you had an experience there and then another 11 years passed and you went back and that's when you really, I gather yeah. found I've been there many times. Yes, I know. I know that you yeah. go there almost every year, but the, these these were experiences that were important to you. So after Life the change. second so after the second 11 years, have you now then learned to be happy? Um I'm fighting it, but you know, every once in a while it pops up. <laughs> only 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 once in a while. I don't think about myself that much anymore. That's happiness. Yeah. You know, it's not always about me all day long. It's not about how do I feel now? How do I feel now? How do I feel now? Am I, I just, how do I feel now? Yeah. You know, I don't, like minutes might go by when I don't actually think about myself. And what, what happens, what happens then? Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> just being. Yeah. But the reason I'm, I, I always talk about practice is because, <clears throat> you know, Maharaji, he was, he was really funny, but he, he was, one time he looked at the Westerners, the group sitting with him, and he said, I've done everything. I just leave the mind to you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, first, the first reaction is, yeah, thanks. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then you think, what does he mean he's done everything? And all we have to do now is calm our minds. Is, is slow down and everything, you know, he, he, he lived, uh, lives in another, on a completely different level of being, you know, yeah. he's, he's present in the past, the future and this moment equally, there's no time for him. Yeah. And in fact, Hanuman, the monkey God is called Three Kalavesham, the 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 the, uh, the one who lives in the three times, past, present, or future. And Maharaji's that's that's how it is for him. So when he says he's done everything and he just leaves the mind to us, it's very clear in instruction. And he didn't then say, so do it. He didn't say that. He just said, This is the way it is. Now, you know, 
Yeah. Um, he also used to say, you know, he, the main practice I do is called the, the repetition of the sacred names, the divine names, the names of so-called God. Yeah. But in India, you know, it's a, everything from it's different. We don't, they don't chop things up and dis, and you know, there's only one God. Everybody knows that, but that God can be approached and and entered into through any different practice and many different names. But Maharaj used to say, through the repetition of the name, on the keep the the, the repetition, everything is accomplished. Yeah, everything is made full and complete. So. Uh, an interesting thing, you know, Siddhima was his great, great devotee. And she just left the body a couple of three years ago. Yeah. Uh, she was extraordinary. And I asked her once, I said, Ma, you know, should I meditate or should I sing? What, what's the deal? And she looked at me, she said, well, what do you like to do? Now, my physical mother never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no mothers say that. <laughs> no, no one is telling you to do what you like, you know. Um, I said, well, you know, I, I like to sing. She said, she said, Krishna, in 40 years with Maharaji, not once did he ask me to meditate. Mm -hmm. But he asked me to serve others and to remember God, do the bhajan, remember the name, repeat the name. And he said to her that the more subtle states of consciousness cannot be precipitated by the use of your personal will, mm. your egoistic will. Yeah. But through purification and purity of heart and serving others and repeating the name, you make yourself, you ripen yourself, you, you make yourself available to those states and they'll rise on their own. Mm. So that's pretty but, interesting. But then again, when we sit down to meditate, I'm talking about myself, when I sit down to meditate, it's like, as Sharon Salzberg says, you have sat down and you have said, I'm going to sit. And so the, the mind, if, 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 if one is graced, starts to quiet down. And sometimes you do feel like you're in the presence of God, whereas it doesn't mm -hmm. happen as much when I'm cooking or driving my car or doing stuff. It happens in nature also, I find, mm -hmm. because then I'm not doing things. But exactly. most we go through our days doing and doing and doing and very little being, no? So we kind mm -hmm. of have to find those spaces to be. And often that is by sitting down to meditate here in the West, because we don't have enough mind space to enter that space without saying, maybe now. Well, we're very busy. Yeah. That's one thing. But on the other hand, unless we until and unless we add a practice of some kind to our lives, we just don't notice how gone we are. Yeah. So just noticing you're gone is already being here. It's not something you do. For instance, you'll be sitting doing your practice and then you realize, oh shit, I've been, you know, been thinking about what I'm gonna cook tonight, right? So you tell me, you were gone thinking about that. 
How did you recognize that you were gone? Mm. You didn't do that with your effort. You were gone. And when you're gone, you're gone. But then you were back and you recognize you've been gone. So that happened not by your own personal will, your personal effort. That happened as a result of your own previous karmas. Because that moment could not arise without seeds having been planted of, the, of awakening in your own mind stream over infinite lifetimes. So at that moment, you can go back to thinking about, it. you make a choice. Well, I can go back, I, I have to figure out what I'm cooking or you come back to your practice, to your object of awareness or concentration. Every time you come back like that, that neural pathway in the brain is deepened. They proved that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so the next time you're lost and in dreamland and asleep, you'll wake up maybe a millisecond sooner. So it's just a question of continual practice over time which familiarizes us with being here because we're already here. We're just not paying attention. Yeah. That's all. And even trying to pay attention is not so easy because we don't even know what it means. We're, we're, we're so outer directed. Yeah. So that's why the repetition of the name is such a great practice because there's music involved in some ways with some, and people like to sing, and there might be a group of people chanting. So we're all reminding ourselves. I mean, there's also a million ways to get lost in that too. But there's, it's also, uh, one of the reasons it's so, uh, such a powerful transmission is we're not thinking that, it's, that, that we're doing spiritual work. Yeah, we're just singing, right? <laughs> we're just having a good time yeah. and enjoying. Yeah. And that type of enjoyment is not, um, it's not from the senses coming into contact with the pleasurable object, nor is it for the senses breaking the contact with, the, with an unpleasant object. It's just, it's a natural kind of joy. Yeah. And that's very powerful. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So powerful, that, in fact, that people don't even, you know, recognize what's going on, which is fine. Yeah. Why do you need to recognize? You have to put a badge on. Yeah, I just had a nice cure time. Who cares? <laughs> so you almost sound uh, quite sort of anti-conceptual, you know, and we were speaking about Joseph Goldstein before. <laughs> And he, you know, he's very conceptual. I mean, he's very deep practice. I don't want to say that. But, you know, he, yeah. he explains everything in, in detail, how things work, how the mind works, and how mm -hmm. you can think about things to enhance your practice. You're, sure. you're, and I know you're very good friends and you respect him uh, a lot. Terrible, you're, yeah, wonderful, yeah. Yeah, but you're exactly opposite, it seems to me. It's, a different, it's just a different approach, you know. Yeah. Um, I, why am I getting messages that I cancel everything here? Um, uh, so one sometimes different people, different things work for different people, and yes. different practices work for the same person at different times. Uh, my my all the times I've, I've engaged in Buddhist practices and meditation practices. Uh, 
been so wonderful for me and so helpful uh, helping me to understand a little bit about what's going on inside me. Yeah. So, but, so it is helpful also to have like oh, intellect, sure. intellectual knowledge about different paths and different methods and, but, but then you have to surrender or whatever word you, you want to let go of that. Ultimately. You have to let go of that. All, yeah. <clears throat> uh, believe me, when Joseph is meditating, he's not thinking about anything. No, I know he's not. <laughs> so, the, th the the conceptual part of it is um, creating a, uh, a, con a context for your life, not yeah. just your practice, but your life as well. And that's a very, that's wonderful. You know, that's a great thing. Yeah. And it's very helpful to a lot of people because look, what I do is a little bit esoteric. Let's face it, you know, I'm, people, uh, you know, I, there are people who just will never do it because it's just too out there, you know, it's just, it's just too weird. You know, what is this chanting? What is that? You know, come on. So for people like that, there are other ways, of course, you know, this is just, India is my home. You know, when I got there, I finally felt at home somewhere. Whereas I never felt at home anywhere before that, mm -hmm. but not everybody's going to have that same experience. So this is just, this is what's natural to me and I just share it with people, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for example, uh, you when you speak about uh, Maharaji and when you speak about your own practice, when you, when you get to that place by grace, it's, it's love, you call it love. So how about love in romantic love or the love that what, what we normally call love? How do you see that? After so many years, you know, I was once <laughs> enlighten me, please. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was very much in love with someone uh, at one time. This one person, and um, I was telling my Indian father all about it. Uh, he was a great yogi, been with Maharaji for forty years. He was an incredible being, you know, and he was the head of a school, headmaster of a school. He was totally in the world, but beyond the beyond. Yeah. So he listened very patiently <laughs> as I'm going on about this woman, how I love her, all this stuff. And then he, when I finally finished, he looked at me and said, my boy. <laughs> he, said, he said, relationships are business. You know, do your business, enjoy. Do your business, enjoy. But yeah. he said, but love? He said, love is what lasts 24 hours a day. 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. So he said, do your business, enjoy. He didn't say, don't do your business, enjoy your business. Enjoy the, the interrelational, interpersonal come, givings and takings and all the things that happen. He said, but love, you know, is not something you fall in or fall out of. It's who you are. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. That's what my understanding is when we're talking about real love. Yeah. So uh, you, you don't, don't get think it from somebody. No. Everybody no. has it already. Yeah. And do you think that in a relationship it can be enhanced? That 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 I mean it's something that is can't be enhanced because it just is. I get that. But I mean us feeling it? Are, do you not long for uh for that kind of love? You mean romantic love? Yeah. 
I, I long for romantic love just as, I, as much as I long for depression and, and suicidal thoughts. <laughs> that's the other side of that. You don't get romantic love without the, you don't get the light without the shadow. Really? It just, really, well, this kind of light, you don't, know. When you fall in love with somebody, are you really seeing who that person is or are you seeing your own projections in the first place? Answer Probably that. Probably the latter. Yeah, well, it's usually some mixture of their projections and your projections. And then a relationship can be full of wonderful feelings, friendship and kindness and compassion and caring. But we're, we're not we're not saying that that's not beautiful and, and important. I'm just saying that anything that's dependent on something outside of you, any feeling, any emotion, we're talking about these are emotions. Real love is not an emotion. Yeah. Real love is, is, is the present, the space that holds the whole universe. It's not, it's not limited to any one place or one person. Real love is is your Buddha nature. It's it's it, in India they call it Sat Chit Ananda, truth, reality, consciousness or awareness, and fucking bliss. You know that's your nature. So you don't get that from another person. I don't, I'm not Even so much great. speaking about getting it from another person, but I'm more speaking about what can arise between two people. Yeah, keep speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, we, we know it arises with one, one sex. Uh, look, whatever. I'm not here to convince you. No, no, no. But you're but, kind of but saying that. If you that, keep looking, if you but, even in a really, if you look, what we're talking about is presence. Okay, love maybe is the wrong, is a confusing word for Westerners. Yeah, yeah I understand. We're talking about presence. We're talking about being. We're yeah. talking about awareness. We're talking about what's looking out of your eyes right now. Yeah. Not what your eyes are seeing. Yes. So that's the difference. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but and we're in relationship to everything all the time. Mm. Why do we expect? Why are expectations programmed that if we could find that one person, we'll never be unhappy again, we'll never need anything again? When we eat a meal, we don't eat it with the idea that we'll never have to eat again. <laughs> yeah this bowl of pasta is going to make is going to satisfy my hunger for the rest of my life for millions of lives we don't think that way mm -hmm. but when we get into the romantic program that we've been uh brainwashed with mm -hmm. we expect ultimate happiness from this and there's it's there's always going to be disappointment yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I wish I agreed. I'd be a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I know that you, uh, I don't know if I heard it in, uh, in some conversation on the internet or, or in your book, that you did consider whether you should become a monk at some stage. Um, 
I wouldn't I wouldn't say it that way. <clears throat> but two things. On one hand, I was extremely neurotic and very unable to be uh, at ease in a relationship. And I had never had a uh, um, a good working relationship before I went to India. And when I got to India, there was very little opportunity at first for that kind of thing. And besides, we were with Maharaji, and you know, when you're when you're like sunbathing, why are you going to go to a a, a a tanning salon? You know, yes. you know, you got the whole universe right here. Why are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Why would you leave that for anything? And what would happen is, some of the people in the group, you know, they'd start like, oh, like getting together. You know, and <laughs> Maharaji would look at them and say, oh. They're friends. You're friends. Isn't that nice? They're friends. So good. And a couple of days later, you go like, oh, you're good friends. They're really good friends now. Isn't that nice? Whoa, yeah. And a couple of days later, you say, oh, you're married. Now go back to America. See your parents. Ciao. So that is what I, my, I was completely dedicated yeah. to not leaving his presence, not, not being sent away. Mm. And, and so I buried all my stuff mm -hmm. as quickly as it popped its head up. I hit it with a shovel and throw dirt over it again. And so, as a result, after two and a half years, I was like a <laughs> robot. I, you know, I was, you know, I was like so tight. There was so much blocked energy and so much uh, uncooked seeds, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so one day he looked at me and he says, okay, you go back to America. You have attachment there. Yeah. I, uh, oh, I, uh, Baba, I'm, I'm just learning Hindi. Too bad. You go. Yeah. So he could see all that you were repressing. Absolutely. He could see everything. There yeah, I know no he could see everything. Yeah. But he yeah. kept me. The thing that, the other thing you understand is he himself kept me in India. I was ready to go, it's a long story, but I was ready to go to this one place to try to get my visa extended. And if I had gone there, I would have been sent home. Just like Ramdas and all my, 90% of the other Westerners got sent home. But I couldn't go there because I had applied for my extension in a different place before mm -hmm. they got there. Yeah. So I had to go back to that place. So they all left and I came to uh, the, the house of this devotee. We were staying in Allahabad near Dada's and I brought all my stuff and I was going to get the night train to leave to find, to get to that visa office in Gaia, it was called, near Bodgaya. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I told Dada, I said, Dada, you know, I'm going to, take the night train to go get my visa, but I'm not leaving without darshan. You yeah. know, unless I can see Maharaji, I'm not going. And it was nighttime, so you, we didn't usually see him at night. So Dada said, okay, okay. He came, came back out about a half an hour later and he said, said, Maharaji says, don't go. Tomorrow he'll send you to his devotee in this other town who's the chief of police who will stamp your passport. And so he kept me another year there. Yeah. Whereas, so he, 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 
he knew I wasn't going to make it. He knew I, I, I had to stay and, and just. He knew you, you know, were a bad case. <laughs> he, knew, he knows what a hard case I am. It's not yeah. like in the past. <laughs> He's my most difficult case. I need to work on, on him a bit well, more. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was his most difficult. But he used to hang out with, um, he was so, you know, there was, uh, in those days in India, before cell phones and all this new technology, there were many places in the jungle that were uh, people didn't even know about. And Maharaji had this one devotee who was a big, uh, had a big gang, which and they had their own village in the jungle. <laughs> and they used to go out from there and rob people and, and stuff like that. And, but this, this guy was beautiful singer and he would sing from the Ramayana, the, you know, the story of Ram and sing so beautifully. Maharaji would always go visit him in the jungle and, and they would, they would say, Baba, you know, tell us where we can go to, you know, to find some, to steal something good, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> and he would. Uh, and then this guy got arrested and he got put in jail. And he was in what they call central jail in Agra. And another devotee of Maharaji was the, the head of the jail, right? So one day Maharaji goes to the jail. He used to go there. He actually had a cell that was kept empty for him whenever he wanted to hide from people who just go into the cell and stay there for any length of time. <laughs> so he goes to the jail and he goes to the cell of this, this uh, criminal. And he said, I know you're planning to escape. Don't do it. If you escape, my other devotee, so-and-so, will lose his job, and who's yeah. going to take care of his family? Yeah. So the guy did not try to escape. Yeah. And some months later, he was acquitted completely and became a free man. Yeah. I'm sure so, he was a kind of a Robin Hood criminal. Can we say that, please? <laughs> we can say that. Yeah, I think he was like that. Yeah, definitely. He used to rob from the rich and... And give to, and, to uh, his village. to the poor. And feed people. He used to have big mandaras and feed lots of people. Yeah. yeah. You know, in India, food is like money here. Yeah. People don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yeah. They, they don't have a refrigerator. First of all, they don't have electricity. Second of all, they don't have a refrigerator full of food and, and supplies for the next, you know, they don't. So many people in India hundreds of millions of people don't know where their food is coming from yeah it's it's a different world even so, even then so i know that it's, it's yeah worse. so i know that maharaj always said feed people sir yeah, and he did and yeah and he did yeah 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 so when he sent you back to america do you think he then already knew that he was of course he knew that he was going to leave his body and that you weren't going to see him again It's not for me to say what he knew or what he didn't no. know. Mm. On one hand, you know, he knew everything. Yeah. And everything he did was part of the script that was written to save you and to, to free you. So, and he was perfect in his acting ability, you know, not only for you, but for every single person that he was involved with, physically or not physically. It's inconceivable, the kind of 
what bodhisattva action actually really is. Mm -hmm. um, so he sent me back and he told me to come back uh, when I had a year visa and some money because I had no money for two years, you know. Um, so my idea was to come back to America and to put it bluntly, get as fucked up as I possibly could and then drag my miserable ass back to him to straighten me out. <laughs> did you really think so that, I did. to get as fucked up as I possibly could? Oh yeah, sure. I had been celibate for two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, from the age of 23 to 26. Yeah, it's not a good age to be celibate. <laughs> prime time, right? I was ready to party. <laughs> and you and, did? Uh, I did. And uh, to some degree, actually, it was hard. You know, it must, I had it must be quite so a contrast also. You know, terrible, to, from yeah, that very ascetic yeah. life in India with Maharaji eating bananas and apples and, and not going to parties or drinking or anything and then coming back, yeah, yeah. that's quite a contrast. Yes, it is. Well, you know, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I? I don't know. Uh, you partied. So yeah, so he told me to get a year visa. And so I got a letter from one of my guru brothers who was there with Maharaji. And it said, uh, Maharaji looked around today and asked where you were. Uh -huh. the, the, the guy who knows the whole universe asked, where, where is he? And I told him, Maharaji, you sent him back to America. Oh, what's he doing there? And I told him that you were chanting. He said, oh, oh, write to him. Tell him to come back. I want to hear him sing. I want to hear him sing again. So I got that letter. I was so happy. I can't tell you. I ran around the house like a thousand times outside. However, I had just gotten together with this woman for the first time. And she was coming to spend some time with me at the, where I was living. And I was really looking forward to that, to say the least. So I wrote a letter back to Maharaji and I said, when I left, you asked me to get a year visa and put, I think he wanted me to have like a thousand dollars saved, you know, so I could stay. Uh, he said, but um, I've applied for the visa and I'm waiting for it and I'm working to get the money. But if you, do you want me to come now or do you want me to wait for the visa? You got it? <laughs> I figured I could probably get laid for a few weeks before I got before the letter you, back. Also, the letter take a long time in those days. It takes two weeks to get there and two weeks yeah. back, right? Yeah. So I figured I had a month of partying before, you know, I would go back. <clears throat> so I got a letter back saying, Maharaji says to come in December. Great. Okay, party time. This is great. I mean, I can be here. And... So, of course, he left the body in September. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Destroyed. I was completely destroyed. I had betrayed. Here, here I am. I love him more than anything. This is all I want to do is be in that. And the first chance I get, I betray that love. You mean by not going back immediately when you got the first yeah. letter? Yeah, of course. He knew that I was buying for time, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so he said, well, come in December. Yeah. And of course, he died in September. Yeah. 
So he knew all that. He gave me a chance yeah. to overcome my, the vasanas of my, my mind and my emotions, my, you know, the tendencies that I had. Yeah. It was, you, I wouldn't say it was a test, but it was an opportunity, yeah. which might not have occurred under any other circumstances. And yeah. I didn't take it. So I was destroyed. It really, it just completely wasted. Uh, and for, for all those many years after that, <clears throat> it was horrible. You know? how, how do you look upon that now? Because, I mean, you have this strong beliefs in karmas and in, you know, so how, how, could you have acted any other way? Or is that, is that still a regret of yours? Or is it now like, well, that's the way it had to happen? Yeah, no, it's not a re I mean, of course, there is regret. I would have seen him again. Yes. But it no longer destroys me. Uh, uh, but do you think you could have acted differently? Is, do I think what? Do you think you could have acted differently? And No, I don't think there was any choice in the matter at all. No, exactly. Because uh, I am who I am. And I yeah. historically, I've always done exactly the same thing pretty much <laughs> but uh but you see at the same time he had already put into place a program that would ultimately unveil itself as time went on which yeah. is me chanting with people around the world yeah he had started that long before he put that in place already so that begs us to say well if he had put that in place and you know, then what was that, you know, that opportunity to go back, you know, it, who knows, you know, yeah. one, one old yogi I was with in the jungle who was 163 years old at the time, he said to me, you know, if you had gone back, he would have taken you very high. He said, I could do that, but you don't trust me, he said, and he was right. Really? <laughs> yeah. You didn't trust him, the, the 165 year old? No, not the way, not the way it was with Maharaji. Yeah. So I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, uh, you, maybe you wouldn't have gone back to the, to, to America and, and chanted. I would have died in India, actually, is what would have happened. Or, or by the time I got back to America, I would have been so sick that it would have taken years and years to get my health back. That's one, one way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if he had died while I was in India, I would have never come back to America until it was too late. Why? That's, Why do you say that? Well, I just know I would have gone off to the mountains somewhere and tried to pretend I was going to meditate and just moped around the mountains until I got too sick. Yeah. And then I would have to it'd be emergency to get back to America. Yeah. You know, in India, in those days especially, it was very hard to stay healthy. Yes. Yeah. We, we drank the water everywhere. We ate street food. We, you know, when we were traveling we, and we were always sick, all of us. Yeah, 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 of <laughs> so, course, yeah, yeah. But it was worth every second. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for, um, in, in a minute, I wouldn't trade any of it. Yeah. So but, you're, you see it as your purpose and also, I mean, he said, serve people. That's you serving people, right? When you he said. Them. When they chant with you. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God, yeah. I, I don't, 
I don't do a big trip about that particular environment. Because, you know, what's really who's doing what? Yeah. You know, if I'm singing and people have great experiences, dreams of Maharaji, what do I have to do with that? You know, I'm just doing my practice. And my practice includes other people in the, in the chanting part. So if it happens, that's great. I don't, there's no possibility I would ever think that I did that. I mean, let's come on. You know, I can't even piss in the, in the toilet without getting it all over the floor. So but, can I really do that for somebody else? I well, maybe that's exactly what you can do for someone else. You can't do the most mundane thing, but maybe you can. <laughs> but I mean, it, it has given well, a lot of... I know it of, looks like that. Let's yeah. I'm not stupid. I can tell. I sit up there and people look at me and they think I'm doing it. That's their problem. That's their world. That's not mine. Yeah, I know. And they're, they're entitled to that. I, I'm not going to, why should I mess with that? That's fine. Yeah. But, but that's not the way I see it. No, but it has given your personal life purpose, has it not? Uh, it's interfered terribly with my ability to watch a lot of television. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> what but about now, side now effects? Actually, these days you can record everything digitally, so it's not so bad. Is it really true that you watch a lot of television? You always say that. Is it true? It could be. <laughs> Come on. I'm not asking if it could be. <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> so what's the favorite thing you like to do in your spare time? I don't have spare time. My favorite thing is to chant with people. But you can't chant and with people all the time. <clears throat> well... Um, probably not. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite thing. Uh, I like to read the, the, the biographies of saints. Yeah. And, you know, the great lamas, the great Rinpoche's, the great yogis, the great, you know, all those things. I love reading those because you, you get a chance to kind of look through their eyes a little bit. Yeah. See how they were in the world. Not that you could ever do the things they do for people, but just that you get the sense of where they're coming from, where they, you know, where they're sitting. And and from that place responding to to the world. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I like music. You know, I like playing. What kind I'm, of music do you listen to? Oh, I don't listen much to music anymore. I, I mean, really, these days I just listen to some, these, a couple of these different uh, lamas chanting. Yeah. Have you ever heard the lamas chant? The CD no. called the lamas chant. No. Check okay. it out. Yeah. It's unbelievable, and he's an incredible lama. He lives actually in Paris. He's Bhutanese, and his guru was Kalu Rinpoche. Uh huh. Who brought him to Paris and left him there in 1974. So how how old and is this lama then? How old? Oh, he's pretty old. Yeah. I guess he's in his 70s now. Yeah. I met him not too long ago. Uh-huh. He had like five-way bypass surgery recently. Oh, yeah. So, but he's, he's good. Lama yeah. Girme is his name. He's just so beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you talk about cleaning out the dark corners of your own heart. I think that's a phrase from your book. <laughs> Um, do you find that as the years go by that there are less dark corners? 
I find that I spend less time in negative states of mind. Yeah. That's hopeful. Less time, less time thinking about myself. Yeah. How am I now? How am I now? How do I feel now? I don't feel as good as I thought yesterday. What should I do? Uh, maybe today I feel too good. What should I do? You know, I don't, it's not, I, I spend less and less time thinking about myself for sure, yeah. which is, I think, probably a good thing. Yeah, what a relief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to ask you before we end. Um, you don't have to. I do. For my, for my own sake, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for me, nature means a lot. I, I live out in the countryside. I grew up in a very small village, 600 people. And, you know, oh, it's, wow. just, it's just all ocean. And in, in the Faroe Islands, you can never not hear the ocean because no island mm. is big enough for you to be in a spot where you can hear the ocean. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah. And then I live in Spain and I sailed and it's just always nature. And I remember being at a retreat. It was a Buddhist, a Tibetan Buddhist retreat. And it was like about guru yoga. And I met the, the teacher afterwards and I was like, and there was a tree right there. And I was like, you know, this is my guru. I just said, yeah. you know, showing the tree, yeah. you know. So I, I walk my dog twice twice a day in just in the mountains because I live uh, I'm the last house and it's just mountains behind <laughs> me. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so that's where I that's that's where I feel really connected. Do you at mm -hmm. all? I mean you live in New York City, right? No, no, I live upstate. Okay. In, oh, in okay. the suburbs. Yeah. yeah, in the suburbs. It's not it's not real country, but I happen to live in a very quiet place surrounded by trees. Yeah. Very beautiful. Yeah. And do you do because of course you have Maharaji and you have your chanting and you have that presence, but d does nature mean any, what does it mean, do to you, mean to you? Um, do you, like, well, do you feel I, I, a need to go out and seek nature? No. no. I, don't, I could stay in my room for the next 30 lifetimes and yeah. as long as you give me a bowl of rice every day, I'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't have a need like that. But I enjoy very much nature. I love the ocean and I love the mountains and I love sitting and just looking out over a huge vista. Uh, and parts of India that I've been do incredibly beautiful yes. too, just unbelievable. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just not, I don't feel a need for it. At the, at, I enjoy it fully, but I don't feel a need for it. That's because you're so evolved. You can just sit in your room and be blissful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right about as blissful as a, as a uh, but you know how do you know how we all have to have strategies like if i'm around my house and i'm like feeling a bit heavy and a bit like you know depressive or pessimistic or something it's like okay i'll go and get my medicine i'll just go out and yeah. walk with the trees well, go, and the mountains try to get know? my medicine by going in yeah really yeah sure what are, what is what are all those thoughts? They're just thoughts. And while you believe them, you believe them. But if you're, if you're, but the the, the more, uh, the more you expose yourself to the Dharma, the less you're uh, automatically glued to those emotions as they pass through. But we are very glued to our programs and our self-evaluating and our self-loathing and our self 
judgment and you know all that stuff but um uh i i i for some reason i don't feel like i need to go anywhere to do anything about it let's put it that way yeah. that i have everything i need to do whatever has to be done right here yeah uh, wherever i am essentially but that's because you've come a long way actually well, that's because i haven't gone anywhere <laughs> <laughs> but i mean didn't all it wasn't always like that come on admit it <laughs> no i used to go to india for first aid you know until probably until 95 every time i went to india i was just dragging myself back to be resuscitated that's the way it was for many years for sure absolutely many years but then after 95 you'll get to that part in the book soon i've heard you after speak about 90, it after huh i've heard you speak about it yeah after 95 it was it, it was all different yeah, yeah. there wasn't a, a need to uh go anywhere like that to be resuscitated like that i didn't something was uh completed you might say yeah so that com that that homecoming or that's always with you even when you forget it's still with you yeah that was one of the qualities of that experience that i had uh, the experience that was given to me yeah uh, i was in the i all i experienced all everything i was seeing was peace and silence even though people were moving and talking even i was talking but it was surrounded by this extraordinary presence of peace and vast silence it was amazing and i was just here and there were, and then at one point i kind of looked up into the sky and i laughed <laughs> I said, oh, wow, that's Krishna Das Ness. <laughs> and what it was, was these little whirl, it's like, little like thickening in the atmosphere, right? And it was like whirling, whirling, whirling around, 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 tiny little thing. And it was thoughts. And I saw that when I think I'm Krishna Das, yeah. I think I'm Krishna Das. Uh -huh. And I act like Krishna Das. But it doesn't it has no effect on this presence yeah and in fact so i understood it was okay to be stupid because it didn't affect this at all even when you even when i think i'm krishnas i'm not <laughs> but i think i am but i'm not it was just wonderful and can you still get there oh yeah yeah but in actually the that experience was there was like a nine month half-life you know what a half-life is right it's just yeah. something it's like a radioactive isotope has a half-life yes every yes. every minute it it gets thinner and thinner and thinner yeah until it so, disappears yeah until it, so after nine months one day i realized oh it's a memory yeah but for nine months it was accessible directly after that it was a memory and only now you know 20 years 25 years later 
is sometimes there's awareness of that place of being just as it is, mm. uh, as it is. Does that happen when you chant or can it also happen when you're not chanting? I don't know, because I'm not there when it happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here. <laughs> you have a very mischievous smile. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I hope, I hope that can happen to many, many people, that they get to see that experience. Yeah, it's, 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 it's where we all are all the time, but we're not programmed to be even looking, most of us, yet. So... And it's really only, as Buddha said, it's really only suffering that forces us to deal with that. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just asleep, and and we we don't know there's any tools to use to to change the way we go through our day. Yeah. So that's that's a big thing. But do do you find that there are more and more people these days interested in finding their true self? How would I know? Well, you've been around that kind of longing, yeah, that kind of searching for so, so many years. For 50 years. You've seen the trajectory it's still, it's still in, in America, for example. You could say it looks that way, but you know, on the other hand, let's face it, most people, yoga just means physical exercise. Meditation means just something so they could be better bond brokers, you know, have more attention and more concentration power. It doesn't mean that there's necessarily any more spiritual longing. Mm. It doesn't not mean that, but I, would ha I wouldn't know, you know, because yeah. there's a reality to things which only the people who know can know. The rest of us just like think things, you know, and interpret things, so. Yeah. Uh, but certainly in these very strange and painful times that we're in, the, the level of suffering is so high mm -hmm. and people just are flipping out because the power of their own thoughts to just destroy them. You know, they yeah. just can't deal with their own stuff. Yeah. So that if the karmic situation is ripe enough, a person will look for some way to remedy that situation. But on the other hand, most people don't. All they do is drink more, watch more TV, you know, uh, Eat bang more. the walls and punch the walls more. Yeah. They don't really have the understanding that it doesn't have to be that way yeah so but it, you know you just what are you going to do you just have to do the best you can <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i love this this uh, uh like this doubleness in you like you 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 want to help people but at the same time it's like well what can we do it's <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of that kind of very very deep surrender that it is what it is but at the same time we have to do the best we can for sure yeah for sure yeah, yeah.
Um, Krishnadas, I, I uh, don't want to take any more of your time. I am so, so happy to have been able to speak to you. I hope that I get to meet you in person sometime. For sure, absolutely. Yeah. Keep in touch. We'll, uh, we'll figure something out. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, within some period of time, things will be moving again. But yeah, we don't know. for sure. Yeah. Hopefully, but we don't know. Yeah. If you so were ever to come to Spain, uh, I would hold a grudge forever if I don't get <laughs> if I don't get notified that you're in Barcelona or Madrid or somewhere. <laughs> well, I don't want you holding a grudge, but please <laughs> let me suggest that you go to my website. Yes. And sign up for a, a, an email reminder in for your place on the planet. Otherwise, uh, you never know what will happen. Yeah, I exactly. I don't to have a brain anymore. So. Yeah. Okay, and if, I, if, if I'm in America and you're having a concert somewhere, I will definitely come. Please reach out anytime. I anytime. will, I will. Okay. Thank you so, so much. I am so pleased. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. So that was my conversation with Krishna Das. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Now, before I leave you completely, I just wanted to let you know that in collaboration with the Adventure Syndicate, I am offering a very special online mindfulness course with focus on our inner wildness and on how intimacy with nature can teach us so much about ourselves about how to be in our bodies and in the world in more wholesome and authentic ways, which will bring more well-being to ourselves and others. This course starts on the 2nd of February, 2021. And for more information about this six-session online course, where we explore our inner wildness and freedom through nature, just go to my website, which is doritaholm.com. And on my website, you can also sign up for a free coaching session with me. I coach people through all sorts of life situations, from mindfulness and personal growth to transforming different kinds of intentions into becoming reality. So if you would like to schedule a free 25-minute session with me, please go to my website, doritaholm.com, go to coaching and find a date and time that suits you. Thanks again for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast or on YouTube. This helps others find these inspiring conversations and it also greatly helps me. See you next week with a new episode of Intimacy with the World and be well.